Welcome to the Productive Producer Podcast, brought to you by the Northern Tablelands Local Land Services. This is your podcast for production and management decisions relevant to the Northern Tablelands region. I'm your host today, Max Newsom, one of the livestock officers based at Glenninus servicing the Northern Tablelands. On today's episode, we're joined again by District Vet Nigel Brown. Nigel lets us in on some tips and tricks he's learned over the years in getting potty lambs and calves off to the best start in life. Nigel, welcome back to the Productive Producer Podcast. Thanks for joining me again. No, nice to catch up with you again, Max. I'm looking forward to chatting to you today about potty lambs and potty calves. It's that time of year again when calves are hitting the ground and they're worth a lot of money. Yep. And keeping them alive is a key thing at the moment. Yep. Well, my flock, I'm doing pretty well at the moment. Two out of two. Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, I like those numbers. So, can we start by talking about the importance of getting colostrum early into these potties and why it's so critical? Okay, sure. It, it, it is absolutely critical because... The, cut, the calves or lambs are only born with a certain amount of energy in the system to keep them alive. So they've got to get more energy, more food, which is in that really super rich first milk, the bee stings, call it what you will, which is colostrum. So that is really important. If you've got underweight calves or lambs it's even more important it's more much more important in fact with lambs than it is with calves because they are bigger um, the calves so the, the birth weight of lambs is absolutely critical but if they don't get that f- first milk the colostrum what's going to happen is they're going to run out of energy they're not going to be able to move to follow mum. They're not going to have the energy to suck. They're going to rapidly, especially on a day like today where it's grey and what have you, it, they're going to run out of energy and they're going to get into hypothermia. They're going to lose their body temperature. The moment that body temperature goes down, it's really, really difficult to get it up again naturally. So they, they're in a downward spiral. They're then burning up more energy just to keep alive. And therefore, that is still further reason for getting it as quickly as possible. Most people think of colostrum for antibodies. Absolutely right. It is the source of antibodies. The antibodies are only absorbed through the gut wall into the blood system for the first three, four, possibly up to six hours of life. After that, the gut wall stops absorbing it and the antibodies stay in the intestines. They actually have some use there, but they're not being absorbed into the body. And it takes about 10 weeks before lambs or calves are mature enough to be able to produce their own antibodies. So they're relying on the mother's antibodies for that first technique period. Can you talk to us about where we can get this colostrum from? The udder, 
of the mother. <laughs> that is that is very true, Nigel. But when you don't have that access or you aren't able to milk that udder, yep. there's a few commercial products available. There are commercial products available. However, let's just go back a step. A mother produces antibodies to the diseases and the germs that she's met. So if she's grown up on your property, she's met your germs. The antibodies that she produces in the milk are against the infection she's met or vaccines she's had. So it's the same germs that the lamb or calf is going to meet. If you get a commercial antibody production, it's going to be against the germs that they've met, not the same strains. And in some cases, that can be critical. So my advice is at the beginning of each season, the first few animals that you can get hold of, take some milk from some colostrum from mothers on site that have grown up on that property. I see problems where we bring in ewes just on the just before lambing and they come onto a new property but they've lived somewhere else so there are a whole range of different germs around. You can then at the end of the season if you've you keep this um, let me go back if you've got this colostrum you can then store it in ice cube trays in the deep freeze then you can take out a few cubes at a time you can dissolve them in warm water put them in a plastic bag put them in the water don't pop them in the microwave because the 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 emissions muck it all up in my opinion um, but you can then dissolve that down. If you just keep it in one big bottle, it takes so much longer to dissolve it. We all know that. And then you can give that to animals. Often they are not sucking, so you've got to give a stomach tube. Yep. Um, but some will swallow, so you can give it in a bottle. Failing the presence of, say, let's say sheep, uh, colostrum for lambs you can use cattle colostrum for lambs okay really good really useful I've done it for and I've recommended it for most of my career we used to use it on the, the, the farm when I was growing up back last century uh, the old wives tale is that you use eggs yes there's a few recipes floating around a few recipes with that let's just think about that where does the chicken get its antibodies from? From the yolk, because it, they don't suckle mother's milk, so they're getting it from the yolk. So by feeding eggs, you're actually giving chicken antibodies to cattle. It will give some protection, but not quite the same because they don't meet up with all the same germs. But it will help with things like your E. coli's and some of those things which will cause early calf scours can be really useful. So what's the time frame you're looking for to getting this colostrum into these lambs or calves once you first pick them up? As soon as, yep. really, but it's about the first four to six hours 
that's critical. It, it's why a lot of people will say you, you really ought to be leaving lambs and, and calves with their mother at the place where they were given birth for about six hours to allow the bonding to occur, to allow the youngster to get as much of that colostrum in as possible. How many feeds of this colostrum should we be giving these potties? The first one is critical. If they can get another one in after, uh, before that six hours is up, when the, 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 the shutters go down, then that's great because it's providing energy. That's why it's thick and rich. It's got a lot of fat, a lot of energy. So they need that, especially if they're underweight lambs. So you're, you're really talking at sort of a four kilo lamb or something like that, where if they're less than that, you've got real problems trying to keep these little things alive. Um, you know, I know we have smaller flocks in the UK, for instance, but a lot of small holders would be well worth getting a little um, hay box or something like that for potties to actually keep them warm. Uh, 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 in, in the UK, uh, we keep little tunnels of hay um, where we could put the lambs in. We'd have a heater blowing at one end so that the whole thing was kept warm at about 40 degrees to keep them warm because that's the lower critical temperature of these little animals. And if the temperature, the air temperature is below that, then they're not going to be able to, they're going to have to use body fat reserves just to keep warm. Yep. So that means that in, in probably for most people, they're not going to be bothering to do that. Although we all know a lot of people that do take potties in and look after them. But the important thing there is make certain out in the paddocks that they've got shelter where they can get away from prevailing winds, where they can get down in and be sheltered from those winds that are blowing the heat away um, rather than keeping it warm. So anything that will allow these animals to have protection is really useful. Can we just circle back for a minute, Nigel? You talked about freezing your colostrum yep. once you're getting that from your cows or your, your ewes. Yep. Can you talk about the process? Are we getting that from down and ewes that are going to be euthanized because they're stuck or are you going to be taking these cows to the yards and getting milking them and getting some of that colostrum and is that going to impact the mothering of their live young? Okay, so sometimes you're going to get um, cows, ewes that lose a lamb. Right, they're a really good candidate. If you can't even got one to mother onto them, you can strip some out. Sometimes where you get difficult carvings, lambings, you actually got hold of them. That's a good time to be taking some stuff away and taking off the extra and keeping it. If animals are down um, or there's something wrong with them, you've got to really assess. I think why they're down. If they're toxic with 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 a with pregnancy toxemia or something like that not a good candidate because the balance of that colostrum is not going to be good but if they're just down for some other reason then I think it's perfectly fine to use yep we might talk now about diarrhea and it can be a serious problem what are some of the ways to avoid it and what are some of those treatment options Okay, so very often the, the, I find that the diarrheas are 
um, because of infections, because the animals haven't had good colostrum inside. There are some cases, however, where the calves have got good um, colostrum antibody levels. You can actually test the blood to see what their the gamma globulins are like. Um, I've had outbreaks of, um, I'll show you an interesting one. The most interesting case I had was when I was looking after gazelles. Ruminants, just like cattle and sheep. But these gazelles were dying. They were being seen to be suckling their mothers. But what I sat for hours and hours watching to find out was what was going wrong because they were going down with an E. coli, which is a very common cause of scour. And what it transpired was that these lambs, uh, these gazelle lambs, uh, were being frightened by the vultures that were circling around overhead wanting to come down for dead gazelles or afterbirths. And what I found out was that the adrenaline that was in these young gazelles was clamping down the guts of the intestines and the blood vessels so they weren't absorbing the colostrum in that first few hours. So although they were getting the food, they weren't dying of starvation. They were dying from the very, very simple diarrhea with E. coli mainly because they hadn't absorbed that colostrum. And I that really is stuck in my mind all the time, that there's very often factors like that, management practices that are leading towards it. There are many causes, I fully accept. We've had coronavirus causing scour in calves for best part of my career. It was one of the early vaccines we made, not COVID-19, but other coronaviruses. So there's a range there, but it's a question of identifying the cause in, in specific cases to be able to give specific recommendations. Nigel, could you talk a little bit about fluid therapy? What is it and when should producers consider using it? Yes, a fascinating topic. When animals have got diarrhea, they are losing water and they're losing salts out. So the lack of salts means that they become tired and lethargic. Anybody listening that's ever had a nasty bout of vomiting and diarrhea will remember how weak and lethargic they were because they've lost their electrolytes. So fluid therapy is a question of getting back both the water and the electrolytes back into the body. Sometimes, and I think I mentioned it earlier, we're, we're low in glucose and energy. So when you're giving fluid therapy, you're giving salts, water, and glucose. How we get it into the body, we can give it by mouth. If they're sucking, you can actually give it just out of a bottle and they'll suck. If they're not, and with young animals, it's actually quicker, easier, simpler to learn how to give and administer a stomach tube. Mm -hmm. There's a little sack on the end of a tube. You fill the sack with the, the, the electrolyte mix and, and pop the tube on, pass it down the throat. Very simple. And it just empties directly into the stomach of the, uh, of the calf or the lamb. If any of our producers want to learn how to do that, 
Yeah. Look, um, they, the, these things are sold at local agents, uh, the, the, the bags. Anybody can then talk to their own private vet. They can have a word with any of the sort of relevant LLS staff, the biosecurity officers, SUSAG people that are dealing with livestock, with the vets, and we can help them through. It's pretty basic, and there's there's guidelines on YouTube on how to do it. Um, I've seen some that are better than others, uh, but I'm more than happy to help people. I think it's really valuable. The other technique, which is a little bit more advanced, is you actually give the fluid by injection into the peritoneum. That's a bit more specialized, and it's not something that I recommend people to just think, oh, I'll stick it in here and do it, because you, you've got to miss out on the various bits of organs. But once you've done it a couple of times under supervision, it's very, very useful. In my opinion, if you're giving animals that are subnormal temperature, so you take their temperature or they feel cold anyway, you want to be warming the fluid up so that it's actually 40 degrees, mm -hmm. gives them extra warmth. You put it in cold, you're just sucking that heat away from the vital organs. So there's all those little things that go with it. There are commercial mixes that can be given by mouth um, in that, that the same way that we could have given given that, but you can't inject those by the, uh, into the peritoneum thrust through the, the tummy muscle. Worms can really affect these little ones. Can you talk about the best course of action here? The first thing is diagnosis. Um, it, the life cycle of worms basically is going to take them the best part of three weeks before uh, any worm larvae that they get, even off the mother's teeth, have become round to, to adult worms. So diagnosis is important. Coccidia, however, will only take two or three days to develop in warm conditions, dirty conditions. It hits animals that are stressed. So to assume that all diarrheas in these little things are going to be caused by worms is actually a bit of a misnomer. So it really is a question of getting your diagnosis, looking at the history. Usually, if you're getting a problem, uh, it's a question of doing a post-mortem on one of the ones that doesn't make it, actually opening them up and having a look. If it's, if it's going to be severe worms, you'll be able to see the problem. If it's severe coccidia, you'll be able to see potentially nodules on the wall, or you're at least going to be able to um, do a, a smear. Um, I think I mentioned before, I'm a great one for believing that producers nowadays should learn how to do their own worm egg counts. Um, and down that a microscope, you can see coccidia as well. So if you've got a coccidia problem, really easy to pick it up. Takes you a quarter of an hour to have a look at the sample, make a diagnosis, and you can get on with treatment straight away. Vaccination. Aha! You're one of your favourites. When should we be looking at vaccinating these lambs and calves? If they've received colostrum, that maternal colostrum will, lead, will last about eight to 10 weeks. Then the cells will die off. So that's when you would start your first dose of most vaccines. Um, if you were talking scabby mouth, you'd be talking much younger 
with scratching on the inside of the leg. But if we take the main ones of the Clostridia, eight to 10 weeks is fine. Two doses, four to six weeks apart, critical that you do that because the first injection is only going to last about four to six weeks and after that there's no protection from it so you've got to give the second one which will give you a much higher level of protection and a much longer level of protection um, there's I, I, I was doing some looking the other day and there's something like about 24 different vaccines that we've got in Australia for cattle and sheep not all for both um, so it, it really is a question of looking at what diseases you've got what vaccines are suited to your enterprise you won't need all of them and your, your animals won't need all of them either I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts and I know that that I didn't pose this question to you earlier. Some people like to, and it is convenient, getting them to drink out of a bucket yep. later on rather than at an upright angle. I know that does have an impact on the esophageal reflex and yep. the esophageal groove. Yep. Would you mind talking about that for us? Okay. So when a, a calf or a lamb is born, the proportions of the uh, stomachs, the four stomachs and the, the abomasum are, are different from those of an adult. So because they are born and start off as a milk drinker, they don't need the fermentation of the rumen, the reticulum and the abomasum. Those three are pouches off the esophagus they have the same lining basically as the esophagus so they have what they call an esophageal groove which is a, a muscle which closes round blocks those off so that milk goes straight into the abomasum which is the digestive stomach like you and I have and that's where it's acid so hydrochloric acid is released and where some enzymes are released Drinking milk appears to be the strongest stimulus for closure of this groove. So the two bands of muscle close right up over the top and it makes a chew. So whether they are uh, head up or head down to drink does not seem, as far as I'm aware, to be as important as the fact that they are drinking milk. Okay. So once you can educate them into the fact that that's where they get it from, from a bucket, and heaven knows I had enough fingers in the bucket in animals' mouths as a young lad to try and encourage them to drink from there. Uh, once they've got that, the esophagus has this lovely peristaltic movement, which is just rhythmical um, contractions just like we have all the way through our intestines which once it gets into the mouth it just forces it along automatically it's not just a hollow tube where it goes by gravity the the, the muscular contraction and you've all seen it on the adverts contracts and relaxes and that forces the milk along so I think it's 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 a very worthwhile. We did that with all our dairy calves. They got bottled. They got uh, sorry, bucket bucket fed. Finally, Nigel, I might get us to touch you to touch on the fact 
on some of the telltale signs that these calves and lambs aren't going to make it through and when we should decide to euthanize them? Yeah, sadly, there are always going to be cases. I, I suppose from my perspective, the, the, the easy ones to decide on are those that have got natural deformities, a cleft palate or something like that in the mouth where the milk's going to be coming down the nostrils because there's a hole in the roof of the mouth, or they've got limb deformities or anything like that. Uh, that's easy, straightforward enough. The difficulty comes, I suppose, in those animals that are weak and lethargic and where, we discussed it, you, they're, they're cold, they're hypothermic, they're, they're losing on their energy. If we can get the energy back into them, and they can respond, a lot of those animals can get very, very close to, to dying naturally and still bounce back and become good, solid lambs and calves. Some don't. But if you give those animals some of that treatment and they do not respond, and you can justifiably say, well, we've given them the ultimate, we've given them 20% glucose. I mean, for a lamb, you'd be, you'd be talking about 19 mils per kilo of 20% glucose, for instance. If you've given them adequate glucose, adequate electrolytes, got them warm, and they're still not going to make it, the chances are you're better off putting them down. There, we do get scenarios where animals get uh, brain damage because of lack of oxygen, difficult births, etc. But you'd be surprised at the number of animals that have big swollen heads that still recover if they're mollycoddled a bit to get them through. Um, so I suppose for me, um, I'd rather give them a chance because I can't bring them back from the dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's me on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If I'm dealing with large numbers, I think it becomes something that one really has to analyse with your vet or your DV why have we got this number of cases of this particular sort? So this is where I, I, I mentioned in one of the other things, a post-mortem is really good. And routine post-mortem will show you the common features of why you're running into problems. Once you can work out what the common feature is, then you can work out what the treatment is and if the treatment's likely to work. So, uh, let, let, I almost remember going to one place years and years ago and they had put Texel Ram over their ewes and I was looking after the place and they were just locking, heads were locking, shoulders were locking, they were just too big. He never tried that experiment again. I was doing Caesars and, and but the crows were out pecking eyes and it was just it was just horrendous. So there were things like that where we were putting these these animals down because they were getting infected and that they, they were getting 
just so bad. But a lot of the ones that you see, you think oh, they're never going to make it. There's an amazing resilience and desire to hang on to life in these young animals. And and I, I personally give them every chance that I can. But I suppose the parameters that I measure are actually... It's been hard to describe them like this as to what's the difference between one that I put down and one that I don't. And I have to say there's been many where I've just looked at the calf or lamb or lots of other animals and said, you're not going to make it. And others where I said, I don't know why, but you're going to make it. And, and you give them a chance. Yeah, a lot of that came from experience with you. I believe it is experience, but I think it's really as a question of looking at more than just, you just get the look of some of these animals. Just finish with a point. I, I, I know it's a dog, but I had this dog presented to me. Its heart was pushing out of its, it'd been injured. Its heart was bumping outside the chest. Ribs were broken. The intestines were speared and um, and lacerated. The, the whole of the abdomen was written, ripped open. The, 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 left, the lungs were bubbling out with the heart. There, there should be no way that animal was alive, let alone recover. Anyway, I, I did some surgery. It recovered and nobody was more surprised than me. But there was just something about the look and the way the dog looked at me that made me, you've got a chance. Very interesting, Nigel. And it's been very interesting today to get your take on this, on these potty lambs and calves. And I really do appreciate your time and Thank you for coming along today. No, my pleasure. Always enjoy chatting with you, Max. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nigel. Bye. If you liked today's episode, hit the subscribe button. Feel free to jump onto our Facebook page, Productive Producer. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. Please note the disclaimer in the show notes, as some of the issues and content discussed on this podcast may not be applicable to every farm enterprise and guests and hosts within this podcast are not liable.